Good morning, Sleepy Town. I'm Bo Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio on 88.5 WCUG. Coming to you from across the tracks in beautiful downtown Columbus, Georgia. We have a very special show for you today. We're going to have Betsy Eby on as our special guest. So sit back, settle in, and enjoy this conversation. The word of the day today is synesthesia. The quote today comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. When your loved one is talking, practice listening deeply. Sometimes the other person will say something that surprises us. That is the opposite of the way that we see things. Allow the other person to speak freely. Thanks for being with us here today, and I hope you'll enjoy the show.
Hello everyone, you're on The Art House, I'm Bo Bartlett, and today we have as our special guest the one and only Betsy Eby. Betsy, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your radio show. Can you uh, tell us how you got here? To the radio station or Columbus, Georgia? Mm, either. Uh, Columbus. To where you are now today. How'd you get here? Wow. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I was born in the Northwest, um, Seaside, Oregon. And uh, Seaside, Oregon is actually the site of the, um, the end of the Lewis and Clark Trail. So I wasn't born particularly on that spot where they stood and looked at the Pacific, but all of that informed me from a very young age um, growing up in that town on the Pacific and uh, made my way here um, seven years ago uh, by way of you because you're born here and we moved here to build the art center, Bo Bartlett Center. So here we are. We opened that two years ago, and uh, and now I'm I've fallen in love with the spaciousness of my my big studios and um, plenty of room for painting and piano musings and the abundant light that um, you can't really quite find elsewhere in in the country. So yes, full disclosure: we are married. We are life partners, which works out great. Um, it gets me on a radio show. <laughs> it's the little perks that count. Huh. So tell me a little bit, Betsy, about your daily practice. Well, um, yeah, I you know I think that um, um, I think it's important in, uh, as an well. I mean, have we introduced that I'm a painter? <laughs> You're welcome to do that. Well, all right. So I'm. A Would you like for me to do that? Well, Betsy E. B. is a painter. She paints an encaustic, which is wax, yeah, beeswax and pigment. Yeah. So, um, so I am a painter and art, uh, artist painter, and um, the work I do I think could be classified as nature-based abstraction. I think there are some identifying elements of nature within the work, and so it gives the viewer a window in. It's a little something to hold on to, but then not so didactic that it tells you what it's supposed to be about. I think that um, I think that art is poetry, and I think that um, poetry comes in all different forms, whether it's music, whether it's visual, and I think it's increasingly important to keep poetry alive. Um, in our in our culture, that seems to be you know driven toward information and technology, and so for my practice, in order you know to to tap that well of poetry, it's very important that I have um, a physical practice and a, a spiritual practice that accompanies my painting practice. So my day would look like um, I wake up and I journal and and. Um, I think journaling is so important because it it's the threshold between your sleeping life and your waking life. And in your sleeping life, that's where your unconscious thoughts are are are, are most manifest. And so as we as we um, as we wake and, and sort of shake off the sleeps and move into our, our our waking life, how important it is to just write those down and acknowledge those dreams because those are the that's the emotional content. It's the um, 
It's the fertile soil from which we create during our waking day and how we assess relationships and assess our self-awareness um, and um, our connection to the world and our and friends and self. And so I wake up and I write down my dreams and I journal a bit and I make my green tea. I drink my green tea. And every day I do something physical, whether it's yoga or walking or um, Pilates. And I think it's so important to have, have um, not just your spiritual tether, but your, your physical tether in hand. So you have your, um, it's important to have a strong body um, and a healthy body. And then I move into my studio and I paint and I go back and forth between painting and um, playing uh, music. I'm a classical pianist. Lately, I've been studying with um, Dr. Harris. He's been kind enough to give me private theory lessons. And um, it's just opened my world and in, in the world of, of music. And I've also found that in the world of music, as I experience um, greater knowledge and windows open into the world of um, structure and color and harmonics, um, I'm also... In a in a in a surprisingly synesthetic way, I'm um, developing a new color relationship to my paintings as well. So that I mean, so it dovetails nicely into um, what you're saying about waking up. Dovetails nicely into the theme of Art House Radio, which is uh, the purpose of art is to wake us up, and the purpose of Art House Radio is to wake us up gently. gently. So um, you're talking about waking up, and that's really what we're here um, for. And that's what we're here to do, and that's what artists are here to do. Um, so you're you're studying with music. You're studying music theory with Scott Harris from CSU. Mm -hmm. He is the what? Doctor Harris is the dean of the music school, and um, his he's just he's such a great teacher, and um, it's just been fun. I've been working with him for two or three years. And then I study um, technique with Tatiana Butsunova, who's a she's a pianist here in, in town and a, a recent graduate of um, CSU. And um, she's um, she was originally from Moscow, so she's Russian trained, and um, and it's it's just been a phenomenal uh, experience learning Russian technique um, after a lifetime of Western technique and approach to music. I think what I've learned most from Tatiana is. Um, um, the, 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 the importance of voicing and acknowledging, uh, analyzing a piece and finding the voicing first, primarily. And then uh, also um, her approach is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a bit existential. So you're pulling down things from universal, um, you're, you're drawing upon universal um, uh, metaphors in, in approaching the music, which I really appreciate because... Um, where I'm from in the Northwest, nature is 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 big and nature is um, humbling, and when uh, and I and I and I I thrive in those moments of feeling where um, I'm live you know I'm, you're surrounded by nature and its greatest force and its and its unrelenting sort of um, objectivity. Um, it doesn't care if humans are in the way. It's going to have its own life force. And um, how can we take that? How can we take those elements and the feelings that those elements inspire in the human experience and channel them into music and paint? 
Beautiful. Um, it, it's it's hard for me to articulate about paintings uh, on the radio because it's using words, which is translating the medium. Um, so if you wanted to see some of Betsy's paintings, you could go to her website, BetsyEB.com. That's B-E-T-S-Y-E-B-Y.com and see some of her paintings. Um, and it's even harder for me particularly to, to talk about music. Uh, so um, if we were to play a piece of music of yours, Betsy, or if you were to choose a piece of music, we're going to do both here today. So would you like to, what would you like to do? Hear a piece of your music? Can we hear something of yours so we can hear what you're talking about? Um, you have a, a nada or something that, you're, that you'd like to let us play? Sure, Bo. Let's, let's put something on. Excellent. Let's do it. We'll, um, we'll play one of Betsy's um, nadas now. So this is an original piece that she has recorded, and um, let's give that a listen. Great. Okay, enjoy.
That was just lovely, Betsy. Thank you for that. It's a pleasure. So happy that you played that. Thank you. Have you always composed? No, no. And and I I I I'm hesitant to use the word composed because real composers are, you know, doing these large orchestral developed things and I think I'm just now dipping my toe into things that are more inspired by sort of some simple um um hovering um undeveloped pieces that are more moodscapes than uh than anything and uh it's it's I, I think they're reflective of of my paintings um as well so the pieces are related to your painting yeah, I think they are, particularly right now. I have a show coming up. It opens in New York City next week on January 9th, and the show is titled um, Garden Riot. And I'm currently just creating some improvisational pieces that correspond to the paintings themselves. And I've yet to decide whether or not I, I tie a piece to a painting or rather tie um, a small collection of, of musical improvisations to the mood of the, the paintings in this particular show. So I think that's where it's leaning right now. I find that when I, I find that when I'm creating something and I give it a label in advance, it's very stifling of the creative process because I find that all of, all of, all of creative endeavors want to have a life of their own and you're just there to sort of witness it, you know, not control it. So the more open-ended I am in, in any sort of pre-concept, um, the more freedom I, that gives the work to, to, to flourish. Both painting and music. Yeah, yeah. Um, who are you inspired by um, artistically, uh, painter-wise, painterly-wise? Well, coming from the Northwest, my first exposure was... Um, um, I was inspired by the environment, really. You know, the roaring Pacific, the Pacific Ocean, the the misty, um, the misty, damp coastal area of of Oregon, where I was born, and where my where my aesthetics really um, uh, took hold. And um, I think that you know, the soil we're the soil we're born in just informs us so much. It's those those years of zero to three, where they say you're. Um, cognition starts to get developed, and and uh, I think that um, it's like having good nutrition. You know, <laughs> it's like the nutrition of your environment informs your spirit uh, and your soul. And as an artist, um, um, those things I, I see them continuing to play out in my work. A, a a feeling of connection to the environment, which I think is increasingly important, but also increasingly sidelined in the. Um, in the world of um, dueling belief systems, whether or not we have a climate crisis or not, I think that um, I think that the evidence is, of course, has mounted that we do. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I continue to paint from that place of reverence to the environment and ecosystems, um, as well as um, as well as painting the place where music lives. I think that they're very similar. And um, so in terms of uh, painters that I'm influenced by, you know, growing up in the Northwest, I was influenced by Mark Toby. Uh, Toby did a series of paintings called the White Writing Series, and that was based on uh, music and the improvisational sort of um, lyricism of music and notes and dashes and rests and all, all that made manifest in, in, in paint. 
on the canvas. And he was the first all over painting. And there's a lot of, um, there's been some um, controversy about whether or not, or not controversy, but just um, debate. Co- debate. Yeah, thank you. Debate on whether or not he was the first all over painter or whether Jackson Pollock was. And more evidence is showing that it was actually Mark Toby, but he was out in Seattle. Um, so he didn't get the same kind of headlines that, that, that Pollock uh, grabbed because Pollock was in New York City and he had a very fierce personality. Whereas I think Toby was more of a, was more of a mystic. And he also played piano, um, aside from his painting practice. So he informed me from an early age. And um, the abject expressionists really informed me. Um, Robert Motherwell, um, um, Joan Mitchell has informed me quite a lot in my more maturing years. But the formative years were really um, 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 Mark Toby, um, Morris Graves, the, the Northwest Mystics, because they their paintings were imbued with the same sort of mystic aesthetic and spiritualism that um, surrounds life in the Pacific Northwest, being on the Pacific Rim. Much of it, much of Northwest modernism is informed by Japanese um, Zen um, aesthetic, Zen Buddhist aesthetic. Um, are there other painters, uh, past or uh, contemporary? Yeah, and then and then of course you know you you you're, you you a, a person has their formative years. And then the influences, you know, grow as the painter grows or as the human grows, the person grows. And so um, um, I'd say now, you know, after studying a lot of ab- abstract expressionism in my art history days at university and then um, making my way as a painter um, now and having a, having a career, um, you know, I'm influenced very much by the abstract expressionist Joan Mitchell. I think she had a fierce, fierce um, um, conviction with gesture and color. So I'm increasingly looking at her. There's an artist called uh, Sai Quan Chong, and he's a, a Chinese artist. Sai Quan Chang, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a Chinese artist, and he uses pyrotechnics to to create his work. So he does a lot of things with. Um, um, smoke trails and visual um, smoke echoes of fireworks displays, you know, in the air. But then he also paints with fireworks and um, and and uses the soot, the trace, the tracing, tracings of soot um, as his medium. And then as he lays them out, they uh, he lays them out in sort of lyrical uh, ways that are very reflective of ancient Chinese landscape paintings. Um, not not exactly, but in reference to. And then lights them on fire and lets the fireworks do their work and then pats, stamps them out and then the, the tracers are what remains and that is the art itself. It's process-driven too, which is what I really appreciate because my work is very process-driven. I find that my work, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the end result is something um, quite um, nature-based and so, you know, I would dare say like mother nature but feminine but also sort of the fierce, um, the fierce chaos of, of that, uh, those aspects of nature too. Yet the process itself is quite physical and it involves a lot of, um, the requirement of a lot of strength because I'm moving these large panels around and, uh, working with, um, heat and, um, pouring liquid wax and, and, um, I'm wearing respirator and gloves and she paints with fire. And I, I paint with fire. 
So it's a, it's a very physical process um, involving the elements, but then that physical process in the end manifests something um, quite feminine and aesthetic. Wonderful. Uh, I think that it would be a good time to uh, hear another piece of music. Would, would you have something that you would like to hear? I, I have something I'd like to request. Oh, you know what I'd love to, to have is In a Landscape by John Cage. John Cage. That would be perfect. That would be absolutely perfect. And then maybe if we're lucky, uh, later on in the show, we can hear your um, Havanas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Havanas would be great to play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's listen to John Cage first uh, in a landscape. Yep. And uh, John Cage uh, coming right up. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. And you're listening to The Art House on 88.5 WCUG. We're speaking with Betsy Eby, artist and musician Betsy Eby. Okay. Let's hear John Cage.
Wow, that was beautiful. So that was uh, John Cage's In the Landscape, performed by Betsy Eby. Betsy, do you want to tell us anything about that piece or about John Cage? Sure. Well, John, pa- John, John Cage was a, um, a, 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 he was known to be a very important musician in um, sort of post-war era. And he, he did a lot of experimental things. In, the most famous thing was called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, which is, or 433, which, is, which was his performance of somebody sitting down at a keyboard, I think, and just sitting there for four minutes and 33 seconds and playing nothing. Of silence? But just silence. Well, let's pretend like we're going to play just a little snippet of that then. <laughs> okay, so this would be a snippet of four minutes and how long? 33 seconds. Four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. Here's just a few seconds of that. You ready? Oh, riveting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so a lot of his pieces are, uh, a lot of his, he, he was uh, a student of Schoenberg, so a lot of his work is, um, and, his, and his work was also influenced quite a bit by um, Zen Buddhism. And he used to make decisions, artistic decisions, through the I Ching. So he would, he would um, leave a lot of his artistic decisions up to chance. So he was known for these things. But what I, what I like about this particular piece is its, um, its wandering quality of searching, really, without resolution. And I do appreciate that in music. You know, I, I, as much as I appreciate and love Brahms and the Romantics, and, and that's really what I, what I love to play, um, I'm increasingly attracted to things that are open-ended and simple as just sound beds um, without, without complex arcs and developments and resolutions. So I think that this is a piece of music that speaks to that for me and has a wandering quality. It's more about a question than finding an answer. And in that regard, it relates to your paintings? I think so, yeah, because the art of painting is to ask questions. I feel sometimes like um, I'm a figurative painter, so I paint representationally. I paint, tend to paint people, or at least some version of a narrative, whether that's a psychological narrative or an actual physical story narrative. And um, I was <clears throat> you know, raised in Georgia, so I love the storytelling and the stories and the narrative. Um, but that does at times uh, pigeonhole, uh, at least it narrows the um, potential audience or viewership because it's all cultural um, uh, relate cultural dependent and context dependent, whereas uh, your work, uh, being nature based uh, or inspired by nature, uh, can be more universal at times and have a broader uh, reach or broader potential audience uh, because you're not alienating anyone by 
race, gender, or all of the other uh, religion, or all of the other cultural um, stumbling blocks that mm-hmm. representational painting can provide. Yeah, I hear that, but it, it, uh, I hear that, and it, so it does give a tremendous amount of freedom, and I think that freedom uh, is part and parcel to um, um, what feeds me, which is um, um, probably isolation in nature, and um, and 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 f- witnessing migratory paths of birds and the sea and the power of all that. But, but I also, um, you know, that requires a lot of, um, isolation and privacy and inward thought. And, um, it's harder to talk about that work. So I think that what you do, it's easier. Uh, I think what I do, it's, it's tougher to, to be in the arena of critical conversation. Um, because everyone, because we're humans and fundamentally, humans are attracted to them to humans because the world, the way I see it, the world is a mirror, and so we are humans. And how much do we love seeing humans in art? Because somehow, if you're painting humans, you're validating the human experience. Um, I think my paintings um, could exist with or without the human experience. Certainly, a human's making them, but. Mm, they're, they're, they're spaces, right? They're environments, the paintings I'm making. They're spaces devoid of humans. Because I think that we all crave that too. It's why all, we all want to just sit at a beach and look at the um, lulling water or the fire and get mesmerized by the flame and the sparks. It's that same sort of hypnotic moment that I think we all, we all crave. Yeah, I think that um, I um, I sort of envy that ability. When when we when I first introduced you to um, Andrew Wyeth, who I'd spent a lot of time with, Andrew Wyeth in Pennsylvania, um, we were up in Maine. Um, as some of our listeners may know, that we go to Maine in the summer. You and I do, and we spend our summers on an island in Maine. But when when you first came, I introduced you to my friend Andrew Wyeth, and and he looked at some of your paintings. And he said, um, she's going to be good for you. Hmm. And I think uh, perhaps what he meant by that was a kind of, uh, um, perhaps through a kind of osmosis that he was hoping perhaps I would um, absorb some of your um, uh, nature-based gesture-making and and pattern-seeking nature-based mark-making. I feel like that he was able to do that even within the context of his narrative, of his, of his storytelling. If you look at his paintings, uh, the grass, uh, he's, he's not rendering every blade of grass when he painted. He, he, he would look at the grass and absorb the uh, patterns of nature, and he would then um, get that down onto the, the canvas, not in a um, rendering kind of way mm-hmm. or in a painstaking way. It was absolutely, actually just getting the patterns of nature onto the painting mm-hmm. directly, um, which I think um, you might not have that similar process where it's observed and then directly uh, relating to the patterns of nature, but your paintings do um, reflect the patterns of nature, I believe. Yeah. It, uh, w- when I was a kid, 
from a very young age and then onward in my life, I've had a, a knack for mimicry. And uh, I, I don't often have a, a platform for it. I think that uh, I, I feel sometimes I, I, I missed my calling as an actress. But, uh, but, my, but the mimicry can come out and... Um, I have heard it. <laughs> Yeah, I can. <laughs> you can you can mimic any sound and any person, and uh-huh. you can. Um, um, it's it's almost frightening. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, I've, i it's somehow when I was a kid, I would just always you know like something would I would hear something or somebody, and I would just repeat everything I heard. It was sort of miming, and I think that this this sort of m- m- mimicry um, then has. Uh, I have found an outlet for it in my painting and music too, you know, because my first my first sat down when I was five and started playing something by ear, and that's how I got into music. Um, so I, I I often feel that that same propensity or skill or gift or whatever is is what has helped manifest my paintings. But there's a mimetic quality of the paintings I do that are miming um, music, the the elements. And um, I think that what, what, what Andy was talking about maybe when he said that was um, was um, embodying the elements and pressing it out through the paint and um, staying loose and gestural. There's a, um, there's a wonderful uh, quote by a, a Chinese, an ancient Chinese sage I'd love to read. Okay. Um, that speaks to that very thing. Okay, let's let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, can you find that? We'll do that after the break. Yeah. Okay, so let's play that Havana's piece. We were not going to let Betsy do any impressions here, impersonations. <laughs> although perhaps in the future she'll take that show on the road and and we'll get to experience that. But for now, um, let's hear this beautiful Havana's piece, this rendition by Betsy. And what's the title of this piece? It's one of the movements from his visionary landscapes. Excellent. Okay, great. Let's hear this. Thank you. 
just beautiful. Oh, God, I love that piece, Betsy. And it's entitled uh, Visionary Landscape by Alan Havanas, performed by Betsy Eby. Gorgeous. Thank you. Um, Alan Havanas was an Armenian composer, and he spent his um, final years, last decade or so of his life, or more, um, living in Seattle or outside of Seattle. And he and his wife uh, bought a house that overlooked Mount Rainier, and um, he composed an orchestral piece called Mystic Mountain, and it was based off of the uh, his view of Mount Rainier. And I think that he um, he he found himself in the Northwest um, probably as a byproduct of um, this quite natural probably place for him because of his his um, influence of sort of that Asian um, aesthetic as well. And although he was Armenian, and a lot of his work was based on Armenian folk songs, it does have a sort of a Asian sensibility to it. Um, I think that, you know, probably looking out onto Mount Rainier and the, the majestic quality of the mountain informed his music um, in, in the way that I was speaking about earlier. Um, I think about the paintings of Corot, and I don't think about the people and the landscapes or what they were doing on picnics. I'm think, I think about the feeling that those paintings leave me with. Because uh, I think more of Corot's paintings are more about the bluster of the leaves quivering in 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 the air and um, and um, flying through the you know the countryside and you get that feeling like you are in the weather when you look at a Corot painting and those are the kinds of things those are the sort of emotions I'm always trying to tap in my paintings but I think it's 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 a way of approaching um, any work of art whether it's music or painting or poetry. Um, to um, absorb the feeling of a thing and try to press it out through the medium. So getting back to it, I had talked about... Um, yeah, so you brought a reading yeah. uh, which relates to that uh, today, so look forward to hearing you read, uh, read that. So this is, a, this, is a, 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 this is something that I've um, always loved. It's by a Chinese sage, um, a Chinese philosopher, 10th century, and it goes like this. A young student meets an old sage in the forest. The student asks the sage, Do you know the method of painting? To that, the sage answered, There are six essentials in painting. The first is called qi, or spirit, vitality. The second is called yun, residence or harmony. The third is su, thought or plan. The fourth is called qing, effect of scenery or motif. The fifth is called pi, brush. The sixth is called Mo, ink. The young painter says, Painting is to make beautiful things and to obtain their true likeness, is it not? It is not, says the sage. Painting is to paint, to estimate the shape of the things, to reach it, to estimate the reality, significance of things, and to grasp it. One should not take outward beauty for reality. He who does not understand this mystery will not obtain truth even though his pictures may contain likeness. The student asks, What is likeness and what is truth? The old man said, He who tries to express spirit through ornamental beauty will make dead things. Likeness can be obtained by shapes without spirit, but when truth is reached, both spirit and substance are fully expressed. Perfect. Thank you for that, Betsy. Um, we appreciate your being here today. Thank you. And uh, you have a show, and that's at Winston Walker. You show with Winston Walker Gallery in Seattle and Winston yes, Walker yeah. Gallery in New York. Yes. And you have a show um, 
in January. Yeah, my my exhibition again called uh, Garden Riot is um, opening January 9th in New York City, um, in at Winston Walker Fine Art. Runs and through. So if anyone's in New York, come come find us. We'll be at the opening. It runs from January 9th through into February. So I don't have the exact end date. Into February, mid, okay, mid February. All right. So um, thank you for being here. We're going to go out with another lovely piece of music and. Thank you, uh, Betsy. We appreciate your your art and your music. Thanks for having me. Happy. Thanks. Bye.
Bo Bartlett, and you've been listening to The Art House, Art House Radio on WCUG 88.5 in Columbus, Georgia. Our special guest today was Betsy Eby. Had just really appreciate her being here and her music and her art. Thank you, Betsy. I want to also thank our engineer, Matt Rohrer, a.k.a. Matthew Moon. Thank you, Matt. Great job. We wouldn't be here without you. Hope you'll all get a chance to go out and see some art today. Go out to um, a gallery or a museum and experience some art. Or hope you'll get a chance to listen to some live music, support live music, and support the arts. We have but one life, so let's live it and make things, make wonderful things, creative things that come from your soul and make this world a better place. We need you. We need you making your work. Make it as well as you can, as thoroughly as you can. Research, work hard, make good work. The world needs it. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. I'll see you right back here next week. Love and light, y'all.